0: Everyone, and happy Friday. Welcome to Bible Ask Live, where we answer your Bible questions live here on our weekly show. My name is Tina with my friends, Jane Wendy. Hi, guys, how are you doing? Hello, Uh, we're
1: good. How are you?
0: I'm good. Praise God. I'm just so glad to be at the end of this week and to be with you guys out there, our audience. We want to thank you all for joining us tonight. We want to welcome anybody who um, is here for the first time. This is a live show where we answer Bible questions. So if you have a question you'd like to submit, Um, Into the comment section below if you have any thoughts or comments you want to say we always enjoy interacting with our audience um, So be sure to um, give us a shout out say where you're from who you are Uh, We like interacting with you guys, and so we just appreciate you who are joining us tonight Um, Again, just whatever social media platform you're watching from uh, go ahead and put your comments down in the section below And we'd love to um, be able to chat with you guys. And if you have submitted a formal question on our website, bibleask.org forward slash live, we are hoping we will get to your question. We have a lot of great questions that have come in. So um, if you are here for the first time and you would like a Bible question featured on our show, um, be sure to uh, go to our website, bibleask.org forward slash live. And that's where you can submit a Bible question formally, um, like I said, to be featured on the show. So we appreciate you and um, we're so excited to be able to share God's word and open up um, God's Bible to answer your questions. So Jay or Wendy, we always want to start with prayer. So would either of you pray for us, please?
1: Sure. Let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you and thank you again for what you have done to lead in our lives and for your word that we're about to open up. May your spirit, Please bless us all to bring us into harmony with you and with each other and into love. And may only your truth be spoken of during this hour. And again, we thank you for this opportunity to come together from all over the world. And this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. All right,
2: Wendy, what is our first question? Let's bring that question up. So, and I apologize if I mispronounce your name. I will give it my best to to date to Tadeja. Think maybe something like that. Do humans stay the same age in heaven? Well,
0: that is a really great question. I'm going to say Tadeja. Um, Tadeja, I really appreciate this because this is um, you know very important. Um, topic that you want to make sure you know (laughs) as uh, we are all I hope planning to be in heaven one day very soon so I would say do humans stay the same in heaven Um, as far as you know will they remain like the same age I would say yes as far as their bodies being the same like do we have the same body no and so I'll share with that really quick so just so you know, as what the Bible says about God and his state of being is that he alone has immortality. And you read that in first Timothy chapter six, verses 15 and 16. So basically it says, you know, the only potentate, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, which is God um, in verse 16 says, who only has immortality. So we know that God alone has immortality. So only God has eternal life. And, he has, he is life basically in and of himself. So, um, everything that has life has been given life as a gift from him. So where did that leave us? Well, basically, um, you know, we (laughs) had the, you know, that gift of, you know, having eternal life on the condition that we were obedient to God, but we for, um, we forsook that when uh, Adam and Eve, you know, decided to sin and disobey God. That's sin brought death into the world for the wages of sin is death. But God has never sinned. He's perfect. He has, you know, no sin. And so um, how God or basically how God is his state of being is eternal. And he has a mortality like we just saw. But um, the book of Hebrews gives us a little more insight in Hebrews chapter one, verses 10 through 12. And basically in in Hebrews 1, 10 to 12, it talks about God and it says, and thou Lord, so basically talking about God in the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. And in verse 11, it says, they will perish, but you remain. And they shall wax old as does a garment. And verse 12 says, and as a vesture, you shall fold them up and they shall be changed. But you are the same and your years shall not fail. So basically we're, saying, I think, dear Wendy, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, anyways, um, sorry about that. I thought I heard something. Um, when God is in, or God's state of existence is that he doesn't change. Like He's timeless. Um, he's eternal, so he's not going to age. He's not going to wax old. He's, you know, like we get old on this earth, you know, um, we kind of peak around 25, 30, and then it kind of just goes, you know, down from there until eventually, you know, we fall asleep in Jesus. And so, but God is not that way. God stays the same. And um, actually in Hebrews, um, I believe it's 13, 5, it says, you know, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is eternal. Um so you know, will we stay the same in heaven? Not exactly, but um, yes in one way, no in another way. So if you go to um, the book of Second Corinthians, um, or excuse me, First Corinthians, ex- excuse me, and verse in chapter fifteen, um, the Bible says something very interesting there. Um, so we'll go to First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses fifty through fifty-four, and this will basically be where we. Um, conclude our answer and so basically in first corinthians 15 um, starting in verse 50 it's talking about the second coming and so when we go to heaven what will it be like and so it says behold i show you a mystery we shall not all sleep which is we won't all die but we will all be changed so we are going to change from our current state now into something else And in verse 52, it says, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So, um, you know, we, we, you know, we are corruptible. We are mortal. We don't have eternal life in and of ourselves. It's only a gift from God. And so verse 53 says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. And then verse 54, it says, so when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then um, shall, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So basically, you know, um, us going to heaven, we're going to be changed. We're going to have a new body and um, we're no longer going to have this body that can get sick or tired or, you know, have illnesses or all these things that are, you know, in the life we have now, that our bodies now will be changed into immortal bodies, um, much like, you know, like God, because we the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we will have that gift of immortality, that gift of eternal life. Um, because we will have, you know, basically put on, um, the gift that God has given to us in heaven. And so, and then we'll be like God in that, in the sense that not that we, not that we are God in any way. Um, uh, not that we're, you know, ruling like God, but in the sense that our bodies won't, won't ever die in the sense that, um, you know we won't age, we won't wax old, we won't, you know, deteriorate in any way. So I hope that answers your question. And if you have any other thoughts or questions, be sure to send them our way. Uh, Jay or Wendy, any other thoughts on that?
1: Nope. That was very good. Okay. All right, let's
2: get our next question up. I know
0: we all got a snack sometimes. <laughs>
2: <I get it. laughs> we were super hungry when we mm. got started here and didn't have, he was working right up to the last minute. So Wow. All right. Well, uh,
0: praise God we're here and praise God, you know, we're human and we all, yes. that's part of our bodies now. We need this, this mortal will one day put on immortality. Exactly. I'm
1: being powered by potato chips right now.
2: Yeah. <laughs> potato chips. Okay.
1: Basically, tubers.
2: All right. Let's get that next question up. All right. So, and I apologize Arafatti.
1: again.
2: I think that's the pronunciation, Fatty. Uh, if I got it wrong, I apologize. But your question is, I am greeting you by the name of Jesus. I am not good in English, but I want to know about this lesbianism and homosexual. How Roman Catholic involved or if they have agenda with this thing, I want to know.
1: So, brother, everybody, thank you for the question. And... Oh. Let me bring this here. Thank you for the question, and I just want to say generally, like I, you know, you could probably mean very well with your question, but other people too might, um, you know, see this as an opportunity to criticize us for like picking sides or attacking anybody. And I just want to be clear: we're not attacking anybody. We're not going to be attacking, you know, homosexuals, lesb- lesbians. We're not going to be attacking Catholic Church. Um, we really see that there's a greater enemy for uh, for humanity like humanity really is at war with who the bible calls the enemy the that is satan and his crew ultimately no matter what we see going on i believe behind the scenes it is not humans that are so much conspiring as it is satan and his demonic horde and we get this from For example, Ephesians six twelve. So Ephesians six verse twelve, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, we're not wrestling against fellow humans, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So,
2: Note that it doesn't say the spiritual hosts of wickedness on earth. It says the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places.
1: Yeah, and it's also not talking about heaven where God occupies. So these are going to be uh, divine beings of of sa- satanic association. They are the troublemakers. They are the ones that are splitting us apart. That are confusing us that are pitting us against one another, that are bringing about so much of the hurt and pain. And uh, sadly, many of us humans, most of us humans are being duped, are being manipulated and being deceived. So it's tragic. Uh, So our heart goes out to anybody who's being deceived, who's being manipulated, who's being victimized by by Satan, these angels and God for this reason also is very sympathetic with us because he really sees what's going on too mm-hmm. and again that doesn't mean we're all blameless in what we do we still make decisions and and could choose to ignore God and his his laws but at the core Satan is the driver of this and Satan has created this system this counterpart to, let's say, citizenship of heaven, he has his own sort of his government, his own group, and and his own religion, his own, all these things, this whole system comes together and is what Babylon is, uh, or what's called Babylon in the book of Revelation. We see, for example, Revelation 18, verse 2, and there's an angel who's crying out with a loud voice. And he says, Babylon, the great, is fallen, is fallen, and has become the dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hateful bird. And so we are called to come out of Babylon, and we're supposed to call people out of this Babylon. And, and Babylon in of itself conveys a sense of confusion, just like the Tower of Babel where the languages are confused. Babylon is this place of confusion and everybody's being being made drunk by the wines of babylon and i believe the core of babylon and the seat of authority where satan sort of has his control and influence it is apostate christianity it it is christianity that has totally gone astray that there might be people in there who are very well-intentioned. And in fact, some of the nicest people I know might be in there and practicing false Christianity without knowing it. And when it comes to like the sexuality and these sorts of things, I think some of it was even prophesized, or has its roots in what was prophesied with respect to the decline in humanity. So we see in 1st Titus 4, starting at verse 1, Paul prophesies that now the spirit expressly says that in later times, so way later in the future for him, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. So there again, we see deceiving spirits and doctrine, doctrines of demons. So Satan is pulling people away from the truth, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And then verse three, it says, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created. So here we have this concept of okay, there's going to be people coming in within Christianity who are going to be forbidding to marry and then, you know, ordering that there be abstention from certain foods or abstaining from certain foods at certain times. Certain fasts are being ordered. So, you could take a look and compare that to different Christian traditions and see if, you know, fasting and avoiding certain foods is a big part of it, but how about also forbidding to marry? And there's not too many Christian denominations in which there's a major emphasis on forbidding to marry, or at least it's very very promoted. And I'd say this really entered Christianity this movement for celibacy Uh, It really gained a lot of steam, I would say, around 400 AD with Augustine of Hippo, a.k.a. St. Augustine. And he had a lot of weird beliefs. And everybody knows he has some experiences where he, as a youth, was very promiscuous. It seems like slept with a lot of women and then had this huge counter reaction where he began to then think of women as being inferior inferior to men and then thinking and suggested that sex is bad even within marriage sex is bad and celibacy is the ideal and that it's just best to stay away from women and he wasn't the one who pioneered this that totally came up with it the first time but it really picked up steam and in and, and really gave this movement a lot of traction and then thereafter we see celibacy really being a major component of certain christian traditions and then you have large monastic elements where like the uh, the men the monks do not marry and then women will not marry and and i believe out of this tradition then these monastic traditions where the the priests, the, the nuns, and all these people are not marrying, that we end up seeing a lot of sexual sins still happening. So yeah, men's now not necessarily sleeping with men, women, you know, and they think, oh, that's the worst thing, or women not sleeping with, Um, I, I don't know what goes on there, but let's say the men now, at least they're saying, well, at least we're not sleeping with women, and but they still might have strong sexual desires that probably might not be completely restrained and so i think celibacy has been a Personally, i would say it's been a bad idea for some people who can actually control themselves or submit to the holy spirit even jesus and paul suggest that's a good thing so i'm not saying it's entirely bad for those who are called for it but i think what has happened is in certain people have been attracted into these monastic traditions have been called into um these roles and then what we're seeing now is uh the consequences of that and i'm not saying we only have see sexual problems with these celibate priests you look even at the protestants and they're having a lot of sexual sins you know there's also abuse uh against uh young people um you know the youth of the church being abused even if it's not uh, male and male female and female it could be still male and female female and male and and pornography is huge the studies have shown like even huge percentage I think at least 40 percent of pastors are looking at pornography You know these sorts of things so there's a problem in every Christian faith w- faith when it comes to sexuality and as we said here before it's it's almost wrong to really focus just on uh uh, lesbianism and homosexuality and these sorts of things, and and sort of elevate that as being worse than being promiscuous or whatever uh, sexual sins homosexuals or heterosexuals might be engaging in. And again, these the sexual sins are affecting every church across the board, and this is where we really see satan actively at play drawing on intense lust drawing on our carnal nature to get us to sin and sin is just such a strong driver it's just such a strong motivator to do it and satan just will be eager to to not waste any opportunity to destroy the image of god in us and to um bring us to sin and sadly this is something that's not going to go away. Second Peter three three to six. It says, knowing this verse that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. It's it's just a defining thing of the end because the love of many is going to wax cold, and instead there's going to be indulgence of lusts. And uh, we pray this is insightful for you to really um, see the bigger picture and where God is uh, working with all of us to call us unto repentance and to resist the devil so that he will flee from us. Mm -hmm. So Tina, any, any other thoughts, anything you'd like to chime in here?
0: Um, I guess, um, you know, my only thought is just, I'm I keep reading this question and trying to think, you know, have we, have we answered it? And I, you know, I think, Um, I appreciated, you know, how you are starting that, you know, we're not here to bash any group of people or, you know, speak ill of anybody, you know, um, our God is a God of love. And, you know, to me, the the main essence of this question is how is the Roman Catholic church basic or Roman Catholic involved with lesbian and homosexuality if they have an agenda? And I don't see that, you know, um, I don't see the connection there. I guess that's where, <laughs> where I'm at is, um, you know, that's kind of a thing. So, but um, you know, I, I I guess the main thing I do want to say is, you know, it's so easy to to want to you know be like, is this a con- is there a conspiracy, and what do we need to know? And I would just say, you know, like Jay and be or Jay, like you're saying, you know, the enemy here is 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 Satan, and you know, um, I think Satan is very good at kind of pinning
2: us people against each other. But Satan um, has the agenda.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wherever exactly.
2: Satan can wherever Satan can get a foothold is the where the agenda is. Yeah, no, exactly.
0: And so it's um, you know, I, I would say, I guess my my main answer to this to this question is, you know, I wouldn't worry so much about, you know, trying to figure out what's, you know, this group doing or this group doing. But um, you know, are we seeing the work of the enemy and how are we making sure we're connected to Christ and making sure that we are, you know, preparing for his coming and be sure our heart is right with God and not worrying so much. I I hate to say this to, you know, being critical of other people. And um, just because I don't know, that's something that I was very convicted of this week is how easy it is for us to you know, be like, Oh, what's going on with that group or that person or this person. And we're not, you know, having that self-examination that we need to be having as Christians, um, you know, and, you know, just that, the focus being on, on Christ and our walk with him. So anyways, I guess that's my
2: only thought on that. Amen. I, I like it. Thanks for sharing. All right. So we get our next question up mm-hmm. and hello to Olivia who's joining us. And if anyone else is tuning in, feel free to say hi in the chat. We always like to see you and so, say hello back. All right. Let's get that next question up. Oh. oh, there we go. Okay. So Jeanette is asking, during Jesus's temptation, where he was driven to a high mountain, was Satan a visible angel or operating in Jesus's mind? Jeanette, that
0: is a great question. Um, I really appreciate that. And it's something, you know, um, to consider because you know, so many times, I don't know if you guys are, Jeanette, you've <laughs> felt this way as well. Um, it's like, you're like, man, I feel like I'm getting, you know, thoughts or ideas thrown at me. And I know this is not from myself or, you know, this is something from outside of me or, you know, you you sense like, you know, this is the enemy, you know, tempting you. And so it's easy to, you know, then think, you know, was Jesus just tempted in his mind or was this an actual physical event? And when we go to Scripture, Matthew chapter four, I think the answer is pretty clear that this was indeed a visible um angel that was you know that Satan came to Jesus as. Um And I say this because when you look in Matthew chapter four, um starting in verse three, the beginning of the temptation, you know Jesus, we know he was you know forty days, no food. He was you know definitely hungry and weak. And so Satan, of course, is when he jumps on Jesus um, you know, to attack him. And in Matthew chapter four, verse three, it says, now when the tempter came to him, to Jesus, you know, Satan said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. So first of all, we see, um, Satan coming, you know, it's not just like an, um, like whispering in his ear. It says he actually came, he physically came. And then when you go up a few verses to, uh, verses five and six, Six. It says, then the devil took him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and their hands shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And so here we see Satan, um, I mean, it seems pretty obvious that he physically took him and set him on the pinnacle. It wasn't just an idea in his mind. He was literally set there. Um, because he says to him, you know, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. So it, he would have had to physically be there because then Satan is saying he shall give his angels charge over you. And so he's quoting Psalm 91, but he's twisting it. And so, um, I, I definitely think this is a physical, um, occurrence that definitely happened. I don't think it was just kind of like, Oh, imagine, you know, Whatever. I think Satan literally took him. And he's like, because if you're the son of God, you're going to obey the scripture, which is, you know, that, uh, you know, if you dash your, you know, that God will give charge over you, like prove it by jumping off of this thing. So I think he would have physically had to be there in order to tempt him in this way. And so, um, yeah, I do think that's a pretty clear indication that this was a physical manifestation of Satan um, in the temptation of Christ. And You know, I just want to note really quick, um, the thing is too with Satan, while he can, you know, whisper things in your ear, he can, you know, tell you things and he can probably look at you and from what's going on on the outside and discern like, this is probably the reaction. This is how I'm going to respond. Um, Satan cannot read your mind. Only God has the power to do that. Um, When you see that in scripture, so many times where God, you know, discerns the heart of man, Jesus discerns their thoughts. like in many episodes or many instances of scripture, um, you know, like when David was going to be selected as King, um, you know, he tells Samuel, the prophet um in first Samuel chapter 16, that in verse seven, it says, you know, God doesn't see as man sees for man looks on the outside, but the Lord looks at the heart. Only God can see the heart and only can read your mind. And so I don't think that Satan was able to you know, speak to Jesus within his mind as if, you know, he was inside of there having a conversation because Satan can't do that. Um, Satan can possess people in the fact that he tells them what to do and they do it. Um, and they are completely, you know, uh, some people are submitted to the enemy, but Satan cannot read your mind. He can't do that. And he couldn't read the mind of Christ. And so I don't think it was a mental battle as much as it was, um, I mean, there was a mental battle aspect going on but it was definitely a physical manifestation that satan was physically there he literally took him up to a pinnacle and literally said throw yourself down or else you're not the son of god because you're not you know able to literally fulfill this scripture and so jesus just had to say you know no 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 this is what the bible actually says and so um i I love Christ's response because everything he says is it is written and that's what we stand for at by blast. So I hope that answers your question. And I um, just, if you have any other thoughts on that, I'll be sure to let us know. Jerry, Wendy,
2: anything else?
1: Oh, that was beautiful.
2: Praise God. Excellent. All right. Let's get our next question up. All right. So Diane is asking, what is an apostle and what is the function of one in the church?
1: Great question, Diane. And I actually appreciate this opportunity to dig into it a little bit to make sure I even understood it better because this is one of these things where we tend to use like a possible, like <laughs> a possible, apostle, <laughs> apostle, uh, sort of like and substitute it for disciple. And there's a lot of overlap, especially in the way it's used, but there's a nuance. And I think the best way to look at that is. The verse of Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 1, it says, And when he, Jesus, had called his 12 disciples, so here it says his 12 disciples to him, he gave them the power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. Now the names of the 12 disciples, sorry, the 12 apostles, Are these so notice we we just it says here's the 12 disciples? Jesus gives them the ability to have power over spirits and all these things, and then next verse calls them now the 12 apostles. So I think this is sort of marking the transition of when did the disciples actually become apostles? And part of that is Jesus again, giving them a certain level of authority, power. And then we go to verse five of, of chapter 10, and Matthew writes, These 12, Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter the city of the Samaritans. But notice how it says there, Jesus sent out. This, That sending out is very much uh, a key aspect of the root definition, like literal meaning of apostle. So apostle comes from the Greek word, apostolos, apostolos, a delegate, a messenger, or one sent forth with orders. That's what it means. The delegate messenger, one sent out with orders. And it comes from the Greek word apostolo, sorry, apostello, which means to order one to go to a place appointed or to send away or dismiss. So, Jesus had the disciples they were training by Jesus or training under Jesus and then at some point it, it, the the point that we see in Matthew 10 Jesus basically says you're now ready to go out I'm giving you authority now go out I'm sending you out that there is what makes them the disciples and, or sorry makes them the apostles boy see this is why it's so confusing <laughs> I always want to call them the disciples but then they became apostles because Jesus sent them out and and that is the literal understanding and meaning of apostle but in the bible it is usually used to refer to just the 12 disciples minus judas well he was for a time but then after judas uh kills himself then we see paul enter the picture and also matthias so matthias is added to replace judas and then God calls Paul, and Paul himself refers to himself as a Gentile, uh, Sorry, as an apostle. Romans 11, 13, it says, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. And we kind of get an idea of the role of the apostles when we look at Acts chapter 6. And it's a, a lengthy passage, but... Basically, the idea is the the followers in the church, this young, fledging Christian church, are getting larger and larger. There's more of them. Thousands are getting baptized in a day. And while they were small, it was easy for the 12 apostles to manage everything. But all, all of a sudden now with thousands of members, and they're trying to do everything, they're getting overwhelmed. And Peter says... And, and people are complaining that they're not getting enough attention and all that. And this is where uh, the disciples come, the apostles come up with a proposal. So the, start started verse two, it says, then the twelve summoned the multitude of, of the disciples. So there's now many disciples, multitude, multitude of disciples. And the apostle said to them, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. We're not going to be busting tables. That doesn't make sense for us to be doing that. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, uh, whom we may appoint over this business. But we, we, referring to the apostles, will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. So we want to be about prayer and evangelism, and we'll let other people who become... Uh, the deacons, like Stephen, those people then start handling the busy work of the church and the hospitality and these sorts of things. So that was where we start seeing now more of a, a distinguishing of roles within the church. And apostles are kind of leading it. they they become the pillars of the faith, so much so that they're also we also see the literal pillars, the literal foundation. Of the holy city in the book revelation being named after the 12 apostles so revelation 21 verse 14 it says now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and all of them and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb now the interesting question is who are the 12 apostles because of course we lost judas is it going to be matthias or is it going to be paul one of those 12 that would be interesting to find out um but the 12, this, this symbolic, that those are the pillars of God's holy city, and they were kind of the pillars, the foundation of the early Christian church. And then Paul gives a clue, an indication that apostles isn't something that will go away, that it is a type of gift that God will always provide to the church. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, like verse 28, he says, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets. So here he's trying to a, dis- uh, a distinction between apostles and prophets. Then he says third teachers after that miracles, then he- gifts of healing, uh, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. So apostles is then. Something will be ongoing. And then verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly hear the best of these. And yet I will show you a more excellent way. And it goes into like love is the big thing, but Paul, I don't think is downplaying apostles. He listed them first still of all those different types of traits. And I am a believer that apostles can continue today. Like that's that's not something that's gone. And it says we are all called. We are all sent out. I believe that the Great Commission of Matthew twenty eight, when Jesus said, uh, "You know, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations." He says there, go. And I believe that go applies to all of us. All of us have been sent. All of us have been commissioned to go out and. Um, and evangelize and baptize and teach. So I think we're all chosen, as Peter says, we are all a, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's a very fascinating topic. And thank you again so much for asking our friend Diane. So Tina, do you have anything else you would like to add to that?
2: No,
0: I think that was really great. Really thorough. I like that you remembered Matthias. Cause he's a, I, I, <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of people overlook him in the Bible and I'm like, no, he was really cool. So yeah, I, I love the story of the apostles. So that's really cool.
1: I wish we were given more about Matthias. It's sad that it's just, he's pointed and then <laughs> we don't see him again.
0: Yeah. I, I'm thinking of something else. Anyways,
1: well, yeah.
0: we have, we could talk about <laughs> the book of acts and all
2: this stuff forever and <laughs> ever, but anyways, All right. Shall we get our next question up? So Dylan is asking, my faith is not going very well. There's been these atheists telling me how God is imaginary and all sorts of stuff. Could someone help me? Dylan.
0: I absolutely appreciate this question. This is so important and such a revealing test to me that God is working in your life because if everything was going smooth and nobody was saying, giving you a hard time, <laughs> then that would be a bad thing. <laughs> if you're getting flack, if you're getting criticism, that's probably a sign that the enemy is threatened and that, you know. You know we're not wrestling against flesh and blood here. We're, we're we're wrestling against those principalities, those powers of darkness, and so I just want to give you some encouragement from two of my favorite books in the Bible, and um, or two of, I mean the whole Bible is my favorite, but uh, First and Second Peter really has some beautiful encouragement. So I want to start with First Peter chapter four, if that's okay with you, just so uh, you. Because this is the heart of the message, which is First Peter chapter four and verse twelve, which is beloved, you know, my brother, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. This is not strange. This is very, very typical of somebody who is genuinely um, following after Christ. And it says in verse um, thirteen, really quick, but rejoice, inasmuch as you are partake- partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy so just know this is not some strange thing God has a plan through all of this that you are going through he um, knows what you can handle and he is preparing you for um, something greater which is of course eternal life um, as well as you know by God's grace a ministry on this earth now um, the book the book first book of Peter excuse me First Peter chapter one begins with something really, really cool. Um, so basically we'll go there really quick. It says first Peter chapter one, verses three through nine. It's talking about the trial of your faith. It says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the re- resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So basically he's saying, praise God. We are saved by Christ, and by his grace. Um, and verse four, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away reserved for you in heaven. And so God, he's speaking of the promise of eternal life. And verse five, he says, who are kept, you know, us who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so you know, he's saying, you know, you have eternal life. Don't forget that. This is so important for you to remember. You have the gift of eternal life as long as you hold on to it through faith. Now in verses six through nine, this says something really important here. And it says, in this, you greatly rejoice though for." Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, even though we've not seen God yet, we love him. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy and inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So he's saying that even now you have the gift of salvation and all you have to do is hold on to it through faith in Christ. And yes, it might seem like you're being tried in a fiery furnace, um, you know, and that's really the point is that our faith has to be something genuine. Um, like it's saying in verse seven, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold, um, which, you know, will basically perish. Um, they be tested with fire, may be found to praise honor and glory to God's glory, basically. And so, I mean, what good is it if we say, Oh yeah, I have faith in Christ. I love God. And you know, I have, my faith is in God. It's like, okay, that's nice words, but You know, when push comes to shove and people are saying, hey, you know, they're challenging your faith and you're sticking to it and you're not backing down, that's a different type of faith. That's something that, you know, people can't argue with. And it's a faith that endures Um, because just like, you know, when you're in a relationship with somebody, like I'm married to my husband and I can say, I love my husband and that's great. But if, you know, things come along and hard times come and I still choose no matter what, even though, you know, things might be difficult to stay faithful and loving to him, that shows the genuineness of my love to my spouse. And the same thing it is with God in that we show, demonstrate faith to God, even when it's difficult, even when people are criticizing you, even when, you know, you can't see everything, you can't see the end result right now. Um, but God sees it and you trust him by faith. And so that's really what God is trying to build in your Christian character at this point in time. Is, is what it sounds like, and it's so important because there are going to be trials that happen in your life, um, but those are not just you know for you know your suffering, but it's to work out something good. God doesn't you know waste our pain. He says all our tears are held in a bottle. Um, God cares about the suffering we're going through and the hard times we're going through. But just like the gold that needs to be refined through fire, so do we in our faith need to be refined. You know, and have all those imperfections in our character start to go away. Because I know when I was especially a first Christian, and people started criticizing me, my response was to get defensive and upset. And God had to show me, hey, those are not good characteristics in your character. Not to say I'm perfect, I'm definitely still a work in progress. But I can see how God has been leading and trying to help me grow in my faith. And also that, you know, it's made me understand that. Hey, do I really believe this? I know I say I believe this, but do I really believe in God for myself? Is is my faith genuine? And I've had to come to a closer walk with God and see the realness of him in my life in order to um to know him better and to, you know, say with full conviction, yes, I know that God is real and he's real to me and there's nothing that can make me back down. Nothing in this world. I would I trade for for my God. And the love i have for him now when it comes to you know people who are saying these things like you know that god's not real he's just you know a figment of your imagination all these things i've heard it all too um i've had you know atheists who are um <laughs> atheists who just hate god <laughs> there's that one camp and then there's atheists that are like well no i believe in science and science shows otherwise than religion there's a lot of different types of people who you know choose to not follow god and um and i don't mean to criticize them because you know they're on their own journey and um my purpose is not to you know be like i'm right and you're wrong to them my purpose is to win them to the side of Christ by through love to them, because it's God who loved us first and his love. We love God because he first loved us. And so we have to demonstrate that love to them first in order to draw them to the love of God. And it takes a lot of patience (laughs) as, um, as I'm sure you will, you know, already, or you will continue to know in your walk with God. And so, you know, but should this surprise us? No. Um, in Second Peter chapter three, he says something really interesting. And so, um, I'm almost done. I just want to share this really cool um, passage, just because um, this helped me a lot when I was first a Christian. And I was like, man, why are these people so angry at me? I mean, I had literally people physically harming me who did not want anything to do with religion and didn't want me to demonstrate my faith in my life. And so. You know, I, I get it. It's it's hard uh, when you feel like you're being persecuted, and so. Um, but Second Peter chapter three, um, verses. Uh, Three through six and eight through nine says something really cool. Second uh, Peter chapter three, three through six says, uh, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their, to their own lusts. So God already knows that in the last days, especially the days we live in right before Christ's coming, there are going to be people that scoff and mock at the Bible. He, God already knows it. they're going to walk according to their own lusts. They're going to want to do whatever they want to do. They don't feel that they need a God to answer to in verse four and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Like, you know, oh yes, yeah. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, they willingly are ignorant, or they forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. So they, they don't want anything. They don't want to know anything about creation about the flood they're like we just we don't care and so they they willingly just don't put it in their mind and verses um, six through eight says something um interesting so uh, it says by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men but beloved do not forget this one thing that with one day, the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. So God is extending the time. It's taking a while because he wants to make sure his judgment is righteous judgment. And he will you know, punish those who are worthy of punishment at the last time. Uh, but verse nine is really key here. It says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, you know, the end of our faith, that eternal life. God is not slack concerning it. He will give you eternal life if you hold on to him through faith. Um, but God is long suffering toward us, not just you and I, but to those atheists too, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so, you know. While you're going through this hard time and you're hearing the criticism of these people, understand that this is a trial that is good for you in that it is testing your genuine faith and helping you to grow and have stronger faith, just like you know a muscle, you need to exercise it. But it's also a, a beautiful opportunity that even in the face of criticism and ridicule you can demonstrate to these people the love of God and the patience of Christ. And you see that, you know, the most clear picture of Christ on the cross when they were crucifying him and Jesus t- says, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus never uttered, a you know, an angry word. Jesus never made an attack. He was always loving. He was always gentle. He was always kind. And it was that love and that kindness that converted so many souls um, you know, to his kingdom. It, you know, even the the thief on the cross couldn't help but recognize divinity in Christ in his love. And even on the cross, Jesus was working to save others. And so that's the love of God. And that's the faith in Christ that God wants to put in you. And I just pray that you, um, you know, don't see this as, you know, this, you know, persecution that you might be going through as a bad thing in the sense that, oh, you know, why is God letting this happen to me? But rather that God is um, allowing this for a greater purpose in your life because God has a a beautiful plan for you and he wants to see your faith grow and he wants to see you being used for his glory, for the good of others and to expand his kingdom. So I hope that answers your question and I hope um, that you are blessed and that you continue to walk with Christ and don't give up on your faith um, because uh, it's definitely something worth, um, worth. Fighting for. So, Jay or Wendy, anything else on that one?
2: That was beautifully put. And I could not agree more with it. I mean, I've been through that experience as well that um, some very formative years of my life I spent with a lot of people who are atheist and agnostic. And um, God prevailed in my life. And I went and searched mm-hmm. everything and, you know, really dug into the science and everything. And I realized they were wrong. They were deceived, confused. You know, they, they just didn't know the truth. And um, God is God. God will prevail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, as I said
1: in other videos, as the Bible says, you know, fool in his heart says there's no God. And I believe they're saying these people have a heart problem. And as long as we try to int- attack it as an intellectual issue, we will always fail. And we mm-hmm. must really connect with these people heart to heart and hopefully by really seeing the love of God through us, they it, it will be changed.
0: Amen. Amen. And it's um, funny, actually, the last verse I was going to share, but that goes along with this verse is, you know, um, in the book of revelation, it talks about people that overcome and in revelation 12 uh, verses 10 through 12. And I'll just um, summarize it saying basically, you know, that Satan is trying to accuse, you know, God's people and attack them. And um, in verse 11, it says, and they overcame him, God's people, we can overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. And so, um, so basically what God wants us to do is, you know, hold on to him by faith and don't forget that, you know, we can overcome these things by, you know. By the blood of the lamb, you know, it's only through Christ and his strength and his salvation, his gift of salvation. And by the word of our testimony, us speaking, you know, what has God done for us in our lives? Because nobody can negate that. Like I can tell you miracles that God has done. And it's like, you can't speak to that because this is is a supernatural thing. And, you know, you can dismiss it all you want or say, oh, the science, blah, blah, blah it's like but this is above science this is above these things because it's my personal experience and there's nothing
2: you can do to take that away mm-hmm. so yeah we have a comment from Olivia that is very fitting here olivia mm-hmm. says god is very real because he answers prayer in very specific ways i could not agree more that is that was one of the key ways that god showed me that he was real was showing up in ways that were meaningful to me very specific and nobody else would know. It's just between God and I. So yep. Some things you just sometimes you just know. All right. Shall we get our next Amen. question? Up? Alihat is asking, what does Isaiah 4, 4 to 6 mean?
1: Thanks, Ali Hunt. And I definitely like questions like this where we're asked to, you know, dig into a verse, especially one that doesn't come up that often. So let's talk about a little bit of background first of Isaiah 4. It's important to always look at, like, what's before, what's after. And here for Isaiah 4, it's following Isaiah 3, obviously. But Isaiah 3 is ending with this discussion of these women of. Judah, and they got really proud. And God talks about, okay, all your men are going to be destroyed, and the gates of Jerusalem or Judah are going to lament and mourn and and be desolate. So the question here is: Is this being metaphorical, or is this being literal? Is it talking about figurative Israel, or is it talking about literal Israel or literal Judah? And this is where the great debate is, and. Definitely, there's plenty to say that this literally happened, and maybe it could be figuratively talked about things to come. Uh, But nobody's 100% sure, but there's always this is it literal or is it figurative? And um, for that chapter, it does seem like it could have both applications. Then we come to Isaiah 4, starting at verses 2 and 3. We now see entering in this notion of the branch. And the branch is kind of this buzz term for Jesus. So, so it's talk about Jesus's presence and Jesus is here and and things are happening um, because of it and, and talk about this remnant that's left of Jer- in Jerusalem. So again, the question is, is this talking about literal or is this figurative? And this is something that's not as clearly uh, seen as being fulfilled yet. Yes, Jesus did eventually show, but then are, is it talking about um, literal Israel and literal Judah that's being left there? Again, who knows? But when we come to Isaiah 4, verses 4 to 6, we have even more certainty in the sense that this has not been fulfilled yet. And we see in verse 4, we let's read it. It says, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem... From her midst, by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. And then we go down. Then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and of the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering. And we know, like, we don't see today literally any cloud by day and pillar of smoke by night uh, at all around Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. So we know this hasn't been fulfilled yet, uh, at least not in a literal sense. And has it been done figuratively? Uh, that would be harder to parse out. But uh, we do see verses that really interact and uh, seem to resonate with what we just read so in verse four it's talking about purging and cleansing and and uh, you know involvement of the holy spirit well there's language that seems to speak to like acts 3 19 where it's, it said repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the lord that seems to connect here and what is that time of refreshing a lot of people understand that to be the second coming and indeed we see malachi 3 2 similar language that again is also seeming to point to the second coming It says but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears for he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap he will sit as refiner and purify and a purifier of silver he will purify the sons of levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to Lord an offering in righteousness. Now, granted, some of this was accomplished by Jesus in person. And as I mentioned in verse uh, verses 2 and 3 of Isaiah, there's this indication of the branch being present. So Jesus was present. Jesus, uh, After Jesus left, it, it talked about how many of the priests actually converted to Christianity. So if those priests were of the lineage of Levi, it was fulfilled then even the verse of Malachi of purifying the sons of Levi, literally, if that was what was spoken there. But then going back to verse five, where it says, you know, there'll be this drowning, dwelling place of, Mount, place of Mount Zion and this cloud of smoke by day and shining a fire by night. Where where have we heard this before? So this seems to be pointing back to or using the same language as that pillar of fire and the, the 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 sorry pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire that followed the israelites during their time in the wilderness and that was the presence of god with them and i would say actually that was jesus as the angel of the lord there with them as the fire and as the as the cloud giving them what they needed at the right time And that was sort of the ultimate symbol, again, of of God's presence, being with them and God's provision and God's protection. And God is, in a sense, promising that again for his people, that that would be a defining element of of when he returns. And we sort of see a hint of that in Revelation 22, 5, which says there will be no more night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. So it, it seems to fit with, okay, this is the future when God will come after the second coming. And verse six, it says, and there will be a tabernacle for the shade in the daytime from heat and a place of refuge of for shelter from the storm and rain. And, again, this could be connected to this notion of God providing protection and and creating paradise for us, the, this place where we could truly rest and not be attacked and assaulted even by the forces of nature anymore. And that ties into like with what we see in Revelation 21.4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There should be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There should be no more pain for the former things have passed away. So it's going to be a different experience once we're actually living with God and God is living with us Uh once and and we notice the term glory um in verse five says for over all the glory there will be a covering uh, glory often is pointing to that future time where we will be glorified our bodies will be glorified and we're just our experiences are going to be completely different given because right now we're so limited. We are just carnal. We're just in like an earthly state, but in the glorified state, there's it's just going to be so different and we're going to be in the presence of God's glory. It's not going to be concealed from us. In fact, we're going to be wrapped in it. You know, we're going to have the robes of light and whether the earth itself will be wrapped in glory too, who, you know, is, is that being literal about that? Who knows? We have to wait and see, but, you know, it, it does tie into this nature that no longer will we even be naked, but will be wrapped again with the the robes of righteousness that were promised in Revelation and elsewhere. So, hope this is helpful. And uh, this notion of God providing a sanctuary and, and being a safe place for us, this also ties into Psalm ninety-one, one of my favorite verses, or for a lot of people. Where it starts in verse one, it says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Mm -hmm. So, of course, in the future, we will dwell literally in that secret place. We will be in the shadow of the Most High that will literally be filled fulfilled. But I believe there also is a spiritual application to this where today even we can dwell in God. We can, you know, place our cares, place our concerns, and and even by faith be in his presence. As Paul says, you know, we could go boldly before the throne of grace. We don't have to be there in person, but by faith we can. And so pray that. You can also find blessings with these verses, comfort for things that, to come, but also what we can enjoy by faith today. Thank you very much for asking these questions. And Tina, I'd love to hear if you have other thoughts, insights about these verses, which just truly don't get talked about enough.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm just kind of looking at them again now and um you know, it kind of reminds me right now I'm reading the book of Ezekiel and Ezekiel's talking all about you know the judgments of of Israel in a lot of ways. and um it kind of just reminds me of uh, basically how you know God is talking about, you know, God's always trying to um help us to restore us to himself um you know, because like it says in isaiah fifty nine two that sin separates us. so God's always trying to restore us to him. And, um, you know, when it's talking in verse four, you know, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, um, and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Um, because the thing was what was going on in the nation of Israel back then is the people were either worshiping Baal, and part of Baal worship was to sacrifice your children. And so God is saying, like, this is unacceptable. You, we need to put this sin away. We need to get rid of this. And so um, in the book of Ezekiel, he talks a lot about, you know, um, the, the daughters of Zion, the, you know, like the daughter of Samaria, which is Jerusalem. And so... Um, just you know, God is basically saying we need to you know put away sin. We see how this works through the sanctuary, and God is always trying to lead us out of darkness, out of sin, a- a- away from those things, so that we can be restored to Him. Um, because again, that is always His will. That's why He said, "Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them," um, because that's always God's purpose is to be with us and to forgive us and to wash us and cleanse us, um, because He loves us so much. So, anyways. That's just my only thought for that one, I guess you could say. So I see that we are out of time. So I just want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. We appreciate you and um, I hope you enjoyed uh, the messages that we've um, been able to share here and the answers. From, the, from God's word, from the Holy Bible. And if you have a question that you would like featured on our weekly show, we want to invite you to go to our website, bibleask.org forward slash live. And there you can submit a question um, to be featured on our weekly show. And again, we are live. So every week we always have a lot of fun um, getting to interact with our audience and getting to to know you all better. Um, And so we hope to see you again next week at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, where we will again see you for our live weekly show. So uh, with that being said, uh, Jay, when do you want to close us with a word of prayer?
1: Sure, let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your beautiful messages of love that us to a better way to live, to interact with others, and to have a future to look forward to where there's no more pain and suffering, no more cold and darkness, uh, other than where it will be totally fine and fun. But we can't wait for that day and help us, Lord, to be like apostles, to go out unto the whole world teaching them, baptizing them, making more disciples that we can hasten the day of your coming. And this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so much for that. And again, we want to thank you all for joining us tonight. And we hope to see you again next week, Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Good night, everybody. God bless you.